Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 2. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brittany, and I'm the pastor here. So great to have you in worship this morning. It's been a week, hasn't it? Um, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, open our hearts and minds, open my mouth that I might share a piece of your vision and as we do something a little new today, open all of our hearts and all of our mouths that we might share a piece of your vision for this world. You are the one true and great God, enlivening us, encouraging us, showing us your desire and joy. May it be so. Amen. So, uh, I, I don't know how many of y'all were here last week, but I made like some sort of like little passing reference to being fearful about the election because I did not think that someone, like I wasn't worried. I did not think that someone who spewed hatred of, uh, of people, uh, 
that Jesus would call the least of these, someone that was anti-Muslim, anti-LGBT, anti-women, anti-people of color. I just did not think that we as a country would let hate win. Like, I just, I just didn't even think that it was, like, I thought it was a non-issue. And so on Tuesday night, as the election tally became apparent, I was in shock. Not because my candidate lost. I, I have voted in five or six presidential elections, I can't remember, and I've actually lost more times than I won because I voted for Bob Dole in 96. That's a whole other story that we don't want to go. Uh, so I know what it means to lose. That's a whole other sordid past that we can deal with on another day. I know what it means to like vote and not have my candidate win. I have been on the losing side a lot. But the feeling that I had on Tuesday night and as I woke up on Wednesday morning, it was not that. It was living in a new reality in which the person we elected has spewed hatred and contempt for the most vulnerable people in our country. For the people that, as a Christian, as, as a follower of Jesus, for the people that Jesus says are, are, are the children of God, are, are the, the folks that are most beloved and most blessed. And... So I, like, I woke up on Wednesday, and I, and I thought, dear God, I have to preach on Sunday. What in the hell am I going to say? Um, yeah, and if, if any of you saw the YouTube video that we released, it's raw. I had nothing to say, and I was crying most of the time. I'm a little beyond that. I pray that I don't cry today. Um, So I've been sitting with this scripture passage, and I've been realizing that um, one of the beautiful parts about this scripture passage is that people saw a man who was paralyzed and could not move because of the crowd. People reached out to him and carried him when he could not do it himself. And so I was thinking about, uh, I listened to this, I, I listened to some preaching podcasts, and uh, several months ago I um, heard about this church in Brooklyn called St. Lydia's. And they, um, the pastor preaches a short sermon, and then the congregation is invited to reflect on the scripture and share a, just a short story of something that happened in that week that, that, came up for them as they sat with the scripture. Not an opinion, just like a, a little nugget. It doesn't even have to be a full thought. And I thought, that's kind of like what we're doing in this scripture passage today. When we read, we're carrying each other. We're sharing. And so I'm going to invite you to do that in a little bit. I'm, I'm going to talk for a while first, but it's going to be shorter than normal, okay? Before I uh, share just a few stories, I want to um, offer a little bit. I'm going to offer my opinion. Y'all don't get to offer yours later on, but I'm going to offer mine for just a moment. I want to say that I think that our nation 
is a lot like the paralyzed man in our scripture passage today. Now, we can talk about the root of the paralysis. Um, Hillary Clinton ran a campaign that was rooted in inclusion, even the word stronger together, right? Um, she welcomed Muslims and women and um, LGBT folks and people of color. And, and we, can, we can say, like, well, there's varying degrees of welcome in that. Like, she's not perfect, and I know that. But, but in general, she was working to create that. And Donald Trump ran a campaign that was rooted in um, our country's original sin of white supremacy. He ran a campaign that was about othering other people, and particularly people of color. When I say that word white supremacy, a lot of times people... Um, I know I used to think about like Nazis and swastikas and extremist groups. And I'm not talking about that. I am talking about that the idea from our country's beginning, we have privileged one group of people on the backs of another group of people. And that those, um, those systems are still at play today, even if we do not always see them. And when I say we there, I mean white people, because it's really seductive, and it's easier for us not to see it. Um, it's, it's this, the Electoral College. Who knows what it was designed for? Who knows why they, why they created it? Yes, Terrell. Thank you. Did you hear that? On the blacks of people, on the backs of people of color, we created a system that we have a person who actually won the popular vote by like at least two million or more. Um, but the Electoral College, which was created to um, make sure that slave-holding states would have greater power. Do you, do, you, do you see this? It's a little scary, right? And this systemic racism, white supremacy, it's slippery. It's like the air we breathe. We don't even, if you're white, you don't even realize you're, what, what air? It's just something we do, right? Um, and if you're a person of color, I um, can only imagine you see it in everything you do. And so we live in this original sin, this sickness, this paralysis as a nation. Because we can't get into the house. We can't get into the house for healing because we are paralyzed as a nation. 
But y'all, this election, here's the hope. This election, I hope, has woken us up. Anybody woke today? Yeah. This election, um, anybody afraid today? Yeah. Because the truth is that nobody can be healed. Our sermon series is called Healing to Wholeness. The truth is nobody can be healed. We can't just have our individual relationship with Jesus and call it okay. I've been healed. Nobody can be healed until all of us are healed. Until there is salvation for all. So a couple of stories that um, I've experienced since Tuesday. Just little nuggets. This is the sort of story I, wanna, I want you all to tell one of these. Some of these come from Facebook. Some of these come from my own lived experience. Um, on Wednesday, I had a post, a Facebook post, post from my cousin. Um, he was picking up his sixth grader from school, his sixth grader with autism. And though little Andy, he's not little actually, he's in sixth grade and he's taller than me, Though Andy usually has a hard time articulating himself, he was able to clearly say to his dad, I'm scared. Because Trump was elected president and he makes fun of people like me. And now all of my classmates are going to be making fun of me too. As I traveled downtown on Wednesday to shoot the video where I just cried the entire time, um, I was headed on the train and there was a woman with beautiful dark brown skin. And she wore a hijab. And she spoke very little English. And she had tears in her eyes. And she cried over and over again, Wilson, Wilson, Wilson. And I realized that she was trying to get to Wilson and she was headed south. She was down at North and Clybourne. So I got off the train at the Chicago stop and crossed the platform and um, found a woman that was going further north than Wilson to be able to make sure that she found her exit. And as I left to get back onto the train, on the other platform, I couldn't forget those tears and the fear in her eyes. I heard about a colleague of mine um, who was a pastor down in Springfield. Uh, he is black, and one, uh, on Wednesday morning, he was visiting with one of his congregants in a parking lot, and as he left that conversation to walk to his car. A white man yelled out at him, inward, Trump is our president, so when are you getting out of our country? I um, have a Facebook friend who just came out in the last couple of weeks as genderqueer. And they're so excited to be able to live in between the gender binaries, to shop in the women's and the men's section, 
at the thrift store to wear lipstick and feel beautiful. And now they're feeling afraid that if they walk out on the streets dressed as a woman, they will be attacked physically or verbally. Do you see how we're paralyzed as a nation? Do you see how we need the help of each other to carry us through, to, to do the hard work of lifting a body up, climbing a wall of a house, removing the layers of straw and thatch and busting through the ceiling to bring the sick person, the sick nation to wholeness? to lower us down as a nation on on our mat, to sit at the feet of Jesus and be forgiven and healed. On Wednesday morning, uh, our former congregant, April Gutierrez, and now pastor at Barry Memorial Church, uh, she texted me for a joint prayer service to see if we could have a prayer service together And it was a beautiful time of introspection, of singing, of uh, poetry writing, of uh, communion, and of remembering our baptism. Because, see, baptism is, oh, man, it is a powerful act of resistance. When we touch the waters of baptism, if we have been baptized, we are remembering that we are a beautiful beloved, precious child of God. And for those of us whose very personhoods have been up for debate in this presidential election, those waters of baptism, that is good news. That is good news. And the waters of baptism are also like a kick in the pants. They are an invitation. When we say our baptismal covenant, uh, Alex, I don't know if you remember, what what did you pledge? To resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Ooh, y'all. So those waters are powerful, right? Those waters of baptism are powerful to touch and remember, I am beautiful and beloved. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I am gay and beautiful. I am black and beautiful. I am Mexican and beautiful. I forgot all of the, like, what are all the ways that he has named hatred? I am a child of God. And I am called and I see a vision for a world that is not yet. And because of my relationship with Jesus, because of the call on my life, I will confront it. I will name it. 
I will push boundaries. I will help carry this paralyzed man to healing and wholeness so that we can all receive it. Y'all, do you see it? And so that's our call today. That's that's the hope, y'all. Some people are like, Jesus is king, and so everything's good. I'm not there. But I am hopeful in our baptismal covenant. I am hopeful that we are woke up. That uh, all of these, uh, how many of you have seen your friends make like public proclamations on Facebook, I will do X. I am hopeful that those are not just empty words, but words that will carry us through this week and next week in a lifetime of work. Isn't that going to be awesome? Isn't that going to be beautiful when we see the inbreaking of God's kingdom, God's queendom breaking through? So I'm, uh, I, I, I told Devin I would call her out in worship because uh, if you're woke today, if you're saying, I've got the love of God in me and I know uh, my baptismal covenant is to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, talk to Devin. She's got some great ideas about ways that we... Because here's the deal. like It's so big. Sometimes it's like, I don't know where to start, so I'll just watch Netflix. Concrete little steps that are big steps. So talk to Devin for real. Or check the box if you're too shy to talk to her. So that's my invitation. Live into our baptismal covenant. I want to pause now. And we're going to have a moment of silence. Um, Maybe you could have the scripture passage up and we can kind of read through it again. I don't know at what, like quietly read through it. Bring it up on your phones. And after about, how long do you need? A minute or two of quiet? Two minutes. I'm going to get this handheld mic, and I'm going to invite you to tell a story. We'll probably only have time for, depending on how long you talk, we'll probably only have time for three, maybe four stories. We've never done this before. Are you feeling nervous? I am. (laughs) (laughs) Excited? I am. Okay. So who would like to share a story? Not an opinion, but a story. Oh, and then... You can stand up, yeah. (laughs) So... I believe it was Thursday morning. I come from a very small town in upstate New York, 5,000 people. Uh, Wellsville in Allegheny County, if you want to look it up. I'm very proud because uh, with a town that small, you are raised by your community. Um, Also, Thursday morning, I woke to an article in our local paper that someone had spray-painted on the softball field dugout a swastika and make America white again. That 
I've never felt shame like that before. And as a straight white man, I thought, what can I do? Because in that town, the people of color are so few that you can count them on your hand and you can name them. How terrifying that must be for those people, those friends of ours, our, those community members. And so I I like, what I like to do is I like to think in metaphor and think very small and then blow that up till I can address the big topic. So the little injustice that I like to relate to is we're, on, we're all on a road and it's a traffic jam. And you see that one person who goes over to the shoulder and tries to cut ahead. And I hate that because that one person then makes it okay for everybody to start going on the shoulder. You, you see that one person opens the door and that just opens the floodgates for all the people to because they made it okay. So the other thing that's really satisfying is when you see that semi-truck just scooch its way over into the shoulder and prevent that from happening. So I thought, in my position here, I feel much more like the semi-truck. And so it is my job to just scooch my way over into the shoulder and prevent that from happening. And I'm so proud to say that my father and my mother and members of my church community from back home that afternoon went over to that dugout and painted it. It took 10 minutes and it is no longer visible. No police were involved. No police wanted to get involved, but that's another story. But that's not gonna be shared on social media. I don't think it should be because the outrage is what's important right now. But the knowledge that there are people who are bringing civil behavior back again and providing a safe space for people is very encouraging. So I offer that to you as a metaphor that might be helpful to you, thinking, how can I help? For those of you that don't know me, uh, I make a living giving tours of the city of Chicago. So my life changed drastically with the election because I drive by a building that now I can't make fun of. Cannot make fun of the man who, who has his name on the building because I respect the office of the president. However, I woke up Wednesday morning. I think for the first time, it's as a straight white male, it's always been easy for me as I can empathize with my friends of color, my friends who are uh, gay. Um, there's always been that, that wall where I go, but I can't walk in their shoes. I don't, I don't know what they feel like. And for the first time I went, I have to own up to this. Um, as a white man, I have the shame of electing this man. If every Muslim has to be responsible for the two or three bad Muslims, if every black person has to be responsible for the crime in their community, then as a white man, I have to take responsibility for Donald Trump. And it makes me cry, because I didn't do it. But uh, I do accept that responsibility, and um, I just pray that through our civil action, we can take a man who, who knows the word of my, my, my God as two Corinthians and perhaps uh, actually enact change in how he, he truly thinks and feels.
I mean, that's my hope. I don't know how this works. Okay. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Like this? Does that work? Okay. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in a super white liberal community, and I was the only Korean at my school. And I was always asked to be like the token Asian, right? Uh, <laughs> and I remember constantly, wherever I was being so scared that someone would take advantage of my family. Uh, and I didn't realize that that was where a lot of my anxiety was until way too late. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I spent most of my life kind of trying to be white and trying to like be a part of this country and try to have some kind of ownership in this country and try to feel like I belonged here somehow. Um, and I remember in seventh grade, right before I moved to Vietnam, one of my friends came up to me and was like, yeah, I don't think of you as Asian, I think of you as white. And I remember the complete pride I felt at that moment. And I held on to that until the next year I actually did move to Vietnam and someone asked me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from America. And they said, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I know what answer you want. Um, and I think as Asians or as Koreans, we're often considered the model minority. And I never quite understood what that meant. And thinking about it now, I realize, I think it's because we don't cause a lot of trouble because we don't really have a voice. Um, we kind of hide and slip through the cracks because a lot of us don't know how to speak English. We kind of have our own little communities in the corner. We're often paid next to nothing to do a lot of work um, and we just kind of get by. And so I think as also as someone of that community, as someone who does have a voice because I speak English um, and also as someone with mental illness, I think our job, yes, there are so many people who do have a voice right now who are being stomped on, but I also wonder how many people out there don't even have a voice and they have been stomped on and we can't even see them or hear them. Um, so just a thought. And Jen will close us out. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Leslie's wife. My story is very short, but um, my nephew Evan is seven, and he uh, lives with sensory processing disorder, so I appreciate your story earlier. Um, and he woke up on Wednesday, and he's been bullied in school. He's an adorable, lanky, tall kid with glasses and fumbles through life, and he's awesome. He woke up on Wednesday and he asked his mom who won. And she said, uh, Trump. And he just hung his head and walked away. And now he knows bullies win. And it sickens me. These kids are the light of my life. And I will fight every day so that he does not know that bullies win. I marched yesterday and I plan to continue marching. And I will be peaceful, but I will not let these kids grow up knowing that a bully wins, or that you can lock people up for being Muslim. Smile when you see someone in a hijab. Say to them, I'm with you. Don't let this, don't, don't sit here and make this your only stand in this church. Don't go out into the community and be the body of Christ. I implore you.
and let the people say, Amen.